and happy Father's Day to you. Thank you very much. You know, when we come to Father's Day, um, in fact, I remember preaching a Mother's Day sermon, and my mom was there, which is always great. And afterwards, uh, you know, my my parents are very encouraging, and I, I expected my mom to be very encouraging, as she always was, and she was, but she said, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone kind of get on to the mothers about doing something. Like on Mother's Day, it's always like our moms are the best ever, and we just kind of go on and on. But it's kind of more like what you would expect on a Father's Day sermon. <laughs> you know, in fact, uh, I was listening to KSBJ this week, and, and uh, one of the announcers was bemoaning the fact that his father goes to church all the time except on Father's Day, because on Father's Day, it seems like the, the fathers get reamed out the whole time. <laughs> and so, like, I just skip that Sunday, I'll come back later. And I think that there is some truth to that. Uh, there is a different slant that we take towards our mothers than our fathers. I think there's some things that we expect from our fathers that we don't expect from our mothers. Um, seems like Father's Day becomes a chance to remind men of their responsibilities, uh, to correct them, uh, to mourn over their absence, uh, and also to grieve their passing. Um, I think that's partly because men have, there are some unspoken and very lofty expectations that we have of the fathers in our lives. And when those are unmet, the the consequences are are very serious. And so when we think about our fathers or our lack of fathers, um, there is a certain kind of movement inside us, a passion inside us that seems forever to be unmet. And so today I would, uh, I would rather not talk exactly to the fathers, but for all of us that long for a father. And so that would be everyone in the room today. You know, I, I, uh, I, was, with, I was with some friends and I had uh, one of my kiddos with me. And uh, I always like to joke about to my kids like who my favorite one is and everyone thinks that they're my favorite. Um, but one of my kids was there and they were asking the question, which, which parent is your favorite? And so with this one particular child, I was like, this is the one. Like, of all the kids, this is the one. This is the one for sure that is going to say, dad's the favorite. So I was just like sitting back. I was just ready for this. Like, so which one's your favorite? And my child looked at me and they looked at the other person and said, mom. I was like, I mean, it's this one. You know, if I can't get this one. I'm in deep trouble. Moms have a special place in our heart, you know, and we, we, for all of us. But our dads, you know, our dads are, are meant to be superheroes. I mean, really, they're meant to do so much. And we all have, we all have that longing. Have you, have you found your superhero? There are lots of expectations of, uh, mainly I would think, unspoken expectations of men. And I, I want to I clarify, I want to kind of unearth those today, what those expectations are, and kind of the fallout when those expectations are not met, and also the kind of joy and strength and beauty when those expectations are met. I think we can start from the very beginning um, in the book of Genesis. And we look at 
uh, the particular roles of man that God gave him. And so the man in the garden, as we've been over this many times, his, he had several different tasks that God gave him from the very beginning. But one of the first tasks he gave him was to name the animals, which I always thought was like a peculiar thing. Like why would, why was that particular job given to this guy, you know? But that's what his job was, to name the animals. And when God uh, then gives him Eve, immediately the first thing the man does is he names this woman. And so uh, we see that God is naming the very beginning. And God separated the waters from the waters, from the, uh, the waters above, from the waters below. And he called that which was in between sky. So God is, God is naming. And then he gives that responsibility to man as he takes dominion over the garden and takes dominion over the world. Part of his responsibility was to bring names to things. Now, obviously, uh, throughout the Bible, women are bringing names as well to the children. But there's something specific and unique about the role of the name of the man. The man's name being given or not given or, or are, are being spoken poorly of. So we see throughout, throughout the Bible that man gives name to their children. And it's reflected in our culture today where uh, we uh, usually give the last name of the father to the child. That becomes their name. And it's common in most, almost all cultures where the father's name is going to be somehow uh, given to that offspring. Whether it's the first name or the last name, whether it's Ivanovich, uh, like in, in Russian, or uh, whether it's uh, Samson or, or Barnabas, Bus in, in, the, in the, the last part of that, I mean, Bar, Barnabas, Bar being son of. Uh, and so we see throughout the, uh, throughout the Hebrew world and throughout the Greek world that that was the way you received your, your name. Even in, in Luke chapter 1, 57 through 66, we hear the story of Zechariah. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and Elizabeth is, uh, before she is pregnant, she's this, they're this older couple, and Zechariah is in the temple, and an angel appears to him, and, and he begins to kind of question this uh, incredible thing that the angel is saying, and the angel then uh, quiets his tongue so he's not able to speak. And this and then when the baby is born, they are going to name the child. And the mom says, we're going to name him John, which later we'll find out is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. That he's, uh, They're to call him John. And then everyone's in confusion because John was not a family name. It's not a part of who these people are. And so Zacharias, who can't speak, comes over there. And the thing he can speak is call him John. So he is naming this, and then as soon as he does that, he is able to speak. There's that freedom again. And there's something happening there. There's something in this naming in this, and then taking the name uh, uh, of others. Throughout the, the Bible, you see in the list of ancestry, uh, as we look at the book of Genesis, we look, also look in the book of Matthew. Then we look in the, the book of Chronicles, where it says, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and numbers, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it's always the father begatting the child. And so we see over and over, sons and fathers uniquely connected, and generations are connected through their fathers. There's something, there's something to that. There's something to uh, how we get our names. And that our fathers provide a great deal of the substance of where our name comes from. Even, even the heavenly father, right? When Jesus 
is baptized, when he comes out of the water, what is the words of the Father? The Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father saying to the Son, this is, I'm, I'm identifying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so with the naming also comes the affirming that by having a name taken by the Father and taken, and taken by the Son of the Father, that there is a certain kind of affirmation, like this one belongs to me. They are somebody. It is this ability to withstand and endure because of the identity in which the child now has that comes from the Father. One of my uh, seminary professors would often uh, say to his sons as he sent them out on a, on a date or as they went out for the weekend, he would say, now, I want you to remember two things. When you go, he's a real kind of Texan guy, and he says, uh, I want you to remember who you are and whose you are. Identity. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget that you carry my name. <laughs> when you go out there, you're not just representing yourself, but you're representing our family. And so the role of the father then is to, to protect the name within the family, protect the name of this child, to protect his name. And so the role of father is oftentimes a teaching role too, to understand what it means to be a part of this name. So uh, you might, might hear, you've heard before people say, well, uh, any son of mine <laughs> is not going to do this, or any son of mine is going to do this, because that's what our family does. That's who we are. Uh, we just recently had a crest made. My brother made this for us. And it, it has these, these four different uh, emblems on it that talk about, uh, that show hospitality and love and uh, academia. And, and, it, and it, show, it shows like these are things that are important. If you're carrying, there's a big lawhon across the top of it. So if you're a part of our family, my kids, we're going to be industrious. And we're going to we're gonna, uh, show hospitality. That's like our hallmark. And so I'm expecting that of my kids. Like, these are the things that you should be like. And so we're moving towards that in who we are as Lahans, as having this name. And so uh, the role of the father is oftentimes seen as a teaching role. Like, this, this is how you do this. This is the attitude that you should have about this. This is what we do and this is what we don't do. When the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land of Deuteronomy 6, there's this whole, uh, this whole section of scripture that talks about the responsibility of fathers to teach their children so that when they go in the land, they will observe all these rules, that they will recognize that they are children of God. And that this son of mine, this daughter of mine are children of God, so they should behave in this kind of way. This is what it means to be a child of God. A major part of the, the role of fathers is that of overseeing, of, of teaching, of having them conform to the name. And as a, as a child is not conforming to that name, they're not living up to the standard in which that name holds, then the, the father is to lift up and to encourage and say, keep going, you can make it. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget, you can get through this. I'm behind you. I'm watching you. I'm caring for you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. We're going to make it all the way through. In fact, in a, 
Proverbs 1.8, it, it talks about how the, the role of the father is that to teach his child. So we see the importance of name. Another responsibility we see in the garden is that Adam was put in the garden so that he might tend the garden, that he might take care of it, that he might have dominion over it. Part of the role of fathers is that we are to take care of our families, to have dominion over our families, to make sure that all is well. In Genesis 1.28 it says, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That he is to provide, take care of, he's to have dominion over his family. So the father should make sure that everyone is okay. When I do uh, uh, counseling with uh, uh, couples as they're about to get married, I, I, I tell the men it's kind of like being a middle linebacker in football. Well, the middle linebacker, sta- middle linebacker stands in the middle and he's got to have his head on a swivel knowing what's going on all the way around him. Like he has to know where guys are coming from the left and the right and which, which uh, holes to hit. He's got to know what's happening in the secondary. He is like the brain and the eyes and the activity for the whole house. And so uh, fathers should be just like that. We should have our heads on, on a swivel. We should be looking around, aware of what's going on. How are our kids doing? What areas need to be encouraged? Things are changing. How do I take care of those things? A father has a responsibility to care and provide for his family. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.8, we find that if a, if a father does not provide physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually for his child, children, He's actually worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than a fool. The father has a great responsibility to oversee and provide for his family. You know, as we we go through those, we realize, like, that's a lot, right? (laughs) That's a a lot to to raise up your children and and, and discipline them and care for them well, provide for their needs, know what's going on in their lives, giving them a a name. But what we find that when those things are met, when those things happen and when they don't happen, there are real results. Listen to some of these results of of, uh, fathers in the household. Children living with fathers in the home tend to fare better on cognitive achievement and behavioral outcomes. Um, close relationships between, between adolescents and their fathers are positively associated with ad- adolescents' psychological well-being. Fathers who are in the home who have a good relationship with their daughters, their daughters tend to experience less depression. Uh, individuals whose fathers showed more involvement in their lives early on tend to attain higher levels of education. Children uh, in, raised in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. Adolescent males who report a close relationship with their fathers are more likely to anticipate having a stable marriage in the future. When there is this good, solid man in the household, there are benefits, right? And when there isn't, there are real problems that come from that. We all have this longing for this person in our life who will fulfill these different needs that we have. A need for a name, for an identity, 
Uh, I need to know that we're going to be taken care of, that we are all right. Uh, I need to know that we can endure. Thus, the angst on Father's Day. Because no matter who your father is, they don't do it perfectly, right? You can't, you can't do all of that. It's too much. Uh, us, we, we fathers, we, we don't know all that's going on in our children's life. We don't know when to speak and when not to speak. We don't know what they need in this moment. We don't have the ability to take care of all of their needs, right? And so there is this deep longing. Have you found your superhero yet? That's how we are when we're little, right? Like we think our dads can do everything. And they can for us. Like in our small world, they can like, they know how to, you know, they know how to drive a car. You know, they, they know how to, uh, my dad put a basketball hoop on the side of our house. Like, how do you do that? You know, it's like amazing. And so little kids, when they go around, like they say to each other, uh, yeah, they get mad at each other and say, well, my dad can beat up your dad. No, no, no. My dad can beat, you know, your dad may be like this tall and skinny as a rail, but I'm sure he can, I'm sure he can beat up your daddy, Right? We have, this, especially in these early stages, we have these, this, uh, this view of our fathers that they are powerful and strong and they, they know all kinds of things. But as uh, they, we get a little older, we begin to see cheeks, chinks in the armor, don't we? No, my dad's not really that funny. <laughs> or, you know, he's not really that strong. He, really, he knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything, Right? We see that they fail in relationship, they fail in, financial, uh, in, in finances, they fail all over the place. And, and so all of a sudden, our superhero is not so super anymore. But we keep looking for our superhero. I want to tell you, this is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, all of us are created looking for that superhero. We're all like that. We need that uber dad in our life. Back about uh, 10 years ago, there's a man by the name of Richard Hoyt, and he had a son uh, who had cere cerebral palsy. And Richard Hoyt was uh, quite a physical specimen. He, he was a, a triathlete, uh, ran the, uh, the Ironman many times. And so as his son grew up and uh, was not able to, uh, you know, walk and he was severely afflicted with cerebral palsy, the dad decided that he was going to let his son participate. Some of you have seen this story before. Uh, it makes for a great video on YouTube. And so what he did was he uh, rigged up uh, a little boat. And so he, pull, he would pull his son in this boat for the first leg of the Ironman. And then once he got out of the water, he would, he'd pick up his son and he would put him on this special little uh, bike uh, that had a, he would sit on the bike and he would add this little attachment where, where his son would sit. And so he would ride along in the bike. And then when they were done with that section, he would gather up his son and he would take him out and he would put them in like a, a stroller almost. And then he would run with him the last part of the race. 
And the whole time as you're watching this, you're seeing the dad just sweating and, and, uh, and his, his, his uh, muscles are just taut and he is just working so hard for his son. And his son is not able to move. And, and there, but you can also see the effects of the race on his son. Even though his son is not doing the work, right? I mean, his son is just sweating profusely. And he's starting to get sunburned. And, and, and he looks at times miserable and other times just elated and joyous as he's is being pulled along by his dad and pushed along by his dad. And then at the very end of the race, as they cross over the finish line, the rest of the competitors have already uh, come and gone. But as they go across the finish line, there is... Uh, champagne bottles that are just, corks are just popping everywhere. And they're just, it's like they are the greatest victors in the whole race. And maybe they were. You know, that first part of the race, um, as, as, as uh, Richard is pulling his son, Richard Jr., in this, in this little uh, raft, is actually a pretty dangerous part of the race. It's kind of iffy, right? I mean, because what happens if that tips over? We're in some serious problem. Well, what if, what if his, uh, Richard Sr. gets bumped in the head or whatever? It could be a really bad situation. And then you have the second half of the race, the second leg of the race, where they're going along. And now they're going extremely fast pace as he's riding a bicycle. Could turn over, danger again. Even young Richard, as he's in, he's in the, the little seat that's made for him, he, it's still a lot of work for him. I mean, he's got to try and keep balance, and he has limited mobility, limited abilities, and he is moving around trying to keep himself from falling out or from there being a great wreck. And that final stage, as he, as he pushes him along and he runs with him, it's all about just getting to the end, right? It's just endurance to that final leg. This is a beautiful picture of father's love. Like, this is superhero kind of love, right? No way I'm running an Iron Man. But, you know, with my son with me, that's, that's impossible, right? But this guy, he's like a superhero. Like, who can do that kind of stuff? It's a beautiful picture of our father, of our heavenly father, though, isn't it? Like how he cares for us, how he knows, knows us, he knows that we are extremely limited <laughs> in what we can do. But he pulls us along. He cares for us. He watches over us. He does the work. The hard work. And the most we can usually do is just kind of hold on. It's work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sweat. Sweat. It's a long journey. But this is the kind of father that we have. This is the kind of father that we are hope, we're hoping for. A father who will take us through, who will take us to the end, will help us endure, will get us across the finish line. This is the kind of father that we need. The one who we have the same name as. The one who says, I am now calling you my child and I will take you across the finish line. You are going to be okay because I am here with you. This is the kind of father that we long for and that we have received as children of God. That longing, that deep longing that we have, it is there for a purpose. It calls us to look to a God 
who cares for us. You know, when, when Jesus talks about praying, he says, now, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, Abba, Dad. <laughs> this was like, what are you talking about when people heard him say this? That he's saying, you can call God Father. This is what we have been longing for. When Jesus uh, talks about prayer again, uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse 10, he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see what He's saying? Our God will give you His name, 2 Corinthians 6, 8, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He gives us His name. He provides for us. He just says, come and ask, and He is ever-present in His Spirit with us. The result of knowing this kind of God for having this superhero fixed inside of us is that we have identity and purpose and provision and understanding. As you long for something more, the good news is there is something more. There is someone more. This morning as uh, I was getting ready, I was in the kitchen, and I remember a song that my dad uh, taught us when we were little. This was one of those late 70s songs, so forgive me. But we would learn, um, it was real popular then, especially to sing um, Bible verses, and especially to sing psalms. Um, so he would sing, he taught us to sing, Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto us. And I began to sing that, and then right as I was about to go to the next part of it, Wendy started singing with me. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. And I was like, where did you, like, where did you learn that? She, she said, well, my, my dad and I and, and Nicole, we would sing it in choir at church. So we like knew this same song. Like, behold, we're the children of God. We have a father. My word to the fathers today, teach your kids that song. Teach them that you're going to love them and care for them and provide for them. But point them to the, the good, good father. There are many people in this room who have not had a good relationship with their father. And in fact, probably all of us have found our fathers to be wanting. We're probably looking for more than they can ever provide that is meant for our Father above. Today, know him. Fathers, make th that song the melody of your life. Make it be the harmony of your family. Point them to a heavenly Father who is our superhero gives us a name, gives us a future. He stands at the finish line and says, you are going to finish. 
who cares for us. He's a good, good father.